right, we're going to jump into the Word this morning. Do you have your Bibles? Got your analog Bibles? Or your, I don't have my digital version, it's on there. One of the versions, grab one, we've got it up here. We are week three into a series called The God That Shakes the Mountain. Part three is all about character. By character, I don't mean like a character that you play. I went to a performing arts high school when I was, you know, in, in high school, obviously. And uh, like for three years, you know, it was all about developing your character. And your character was, you know, the person that you were portraying on stage, right? And I remember my first role was a little play called Wiley and the Hairy Man. It was a little, whatever, it was a little kid's thing. I was the dog, right? That was my, and my, my character was like, you know, dress up in a dog thing and I would crawl around on all fours and bark and do all that kind of stuff. And I would be mortified, I think, to see it now, you know. That's not what character means. Character is simply who we are when no one's watching us, who we are really on the inside out. Um, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, I've had an ongoing concern, and it's, it's a concern that's sort of been, you know, in recent days, in the last week, deepened in conversations that I've had with some friends of mine I've got a, a concern that the generation, um, there's a generation of Christians who have separated identity, we talked about identity last week, who have separated identity, Christian identity from Christian character. You know, I remember communicating with a, a friend of mine who was talking about, you know, a generation of students, 20, 25-year-old, 30-year-old 30 kind of individuals who... Um, deeply understood their identity as sons of God, daughters of God. They were worshipers. They're, they're pressing into the modern worship movement. You know, if you were to see them on, um, you know, on stage or up in the front, they're the ones whose hands are lifted up here. You know, they're the ones who, uh, who um, you know, can just play and sing the best worship songs there are. Um, but my, as my friend was telling me, he's like, Brad, so many of these, these this, this younger generation, they... They have this identity, but their character, so you know, the rest of the week is just astonishingly unbiblical. You know, and I've I've I kind of you know suspected that that's probably true of every generation, but I'm I'm afraid that it's more and more um, true in these last days where the divide between um, you know we're loved by God but we don't walk in God's ways is widening, and that's of great concern to me. Um, because how you live should be an overflow of who you are. And at some point, that disconnect, that cognitive dissonance is going to be very much problematic. And um, so I, I guess in my own teaching, I want us to come back to a biblical understanding of character, what that means and what it meant for these people as they stood on the base of the mountain. If you've, for those of you that are new, we have a good bit of new people this morning. I want to try to just give you a really quick recap. Um, this, this whole series takes place in Exodus chapter 19, and it takes place around just a few sentences that God says up on the top of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And if you know, if you know your history, if you've seen the movie, um, you know, the Ten Commandments or, or any of those other ones, you'll know that God called the people, called Israel, who was living in Egypt. They were slaves. They were under the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. Moses went. Moses, you know, through plagues and, and all these other things, he, God brought them out of captivity in Egypt into um, 
you know, through the Red Sea into the desert. And the idea, of course, is they're going to go to the promised land and they're going to have their own place and be their own people all over again. But in that in-between, they've left Egypt and they've crossed over the Red Sea, but now they're at the base of the mountain and they're sort of waiting on this first encounter with God. For hundreds of years, they've not ever known or heard from God. They've been under the, this, this, this culture, this Egyptian culture where there are many gods, you know, and this is the first time that they're actually getting to experience Yahweh uh, the God of their, their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God calls Moses up to, the very begin, uh, up to the mountain and he says this. He says, Moses, I want you to tell the people this. He says, you yourselves, people, you have seen what I did in Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, verse 4 Verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, says God, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. We talked about that last week. The idea of being, of being treasured possession, that was an identity. The question of identity, who, who am I? That's the, first, that's the first question to be answered. Even in the life of you and I, in the life of the believer today, you know, once God has brought us out, the question, okay, really, who am I? And God says, before anything else, before, before you do anything Let's establish who you are. You are a treasured possession. You belong to God. You are valued by God. You are pursued by God. You are never abandoned by God. God chose you out of all the nations of the earth, is what he says. Um, Although the whole earth is mine, verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in that last sentence, he points out two other questions that he's he's going to address. We're actually going to flip-flop these. We're going to look at the holy nation first. And we're going to look at the kingdom of priests next week. We're going to look at the issue of holy, the holy nation is, is a question of character. How do I live? How do I behave in the world? How do I behave in my community? How do I make decisions in the world around me? And God simply says in two things, he describes this in two ways. You're going to be for me a holy nation. A holiness, by the way, in the Bible, it is the defining attribute of God. There's a lot of attributes about God. Could you guys name some? God is what? Think of some. God is love. That's right. God is just, perfect. God is merciful. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. All these are all true, but there's one that is sort of like the description of all descriptions, and that is God is holy. In fact, when we get to heaven, when that time comes, right, we're going to be sort of coming into something that's already been happening. There's already going to be a worship service happening in heaven. It's been happening right now. It's been happening for, since before the beginning of time where all of the angels and everybody is surrounding God and they're saying what to him? Holy, holy, holy. Every time they open their mouth, this is coming out of their mouth. It's the defining attribute of God. In fact, it defines the other attributes as well. You know, So God is love. But his love is a holy kind of love. It's not like the love that you and I might have for one another, as good as that might be. God is just, but his justice is a holy justice. It's not like the justice of our courts. Thank the Lord, right? He is merciful, but his, his merciful is, is sort of the, the holy mercy. And the Hebrew word in here that we read, it literally means set apart or different from. And God is saying, I want you to be a a, a nation that is set apart. I want you to be a nation that is different, not ordinary, not like all the other nations of the world. You, Israel, and we can put ourselves in there too, you, King's Church, you are going to be set apart for me. 
And as we, as we kind of read through, read through the Bible and look, about, look at what makes God so different, what makes him so extraordinary, how, and, and these, these people, they're at the base of the mountain, and they're hearing this, and they're thinking, this, okay, well, listen, we, we know what a, we, we've had gods. We know what it's like to worship gods. We came from Egypt. Egypt is like the land of all gods. There's a god for everything. You know, you got Ammon, Re, the sun god. You got this god of the bull. You got these frogs. These are gods too. The Nile River is a god. We know all about these gods. What makes this god so unique? And they're going to they're find out as they walk in covenant relationship with him that God is unlike anything they've ever encountered in their entire life. And what they're going to discover is that God is astonishingly consistent. And that's going to blow their minds. Because they've never encountered a God who is astonishingly consistent. All these gods of the, the great ancient world, they were not consistent. One day they would be you know, showing favor to you, and the next day they would be you know, casting you into the, the, the abyss of the ocean. Right? One day they're, they're in a good mood, and one day they're in a bad mood, and you never really knew. One day they told you one thing, and the next day they would contradict themselves. And they begin to discover that the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was astonishingly consistent in his character. What he said, you could actually depend on. What he said he would do, he would actually do. And then they began to discover this, this idea of love. They had never heard of this idea of, of a God loving them. Nobody in the ancient world could ever fathom a God-loving, poor, pitiful, scum-of-the-earth humanity. You cannot find any other ancient literature that talks about this. But God begins to talk about his love for the people. Then he uses this, this, this Hebrew word. I don't know a lot of Hebrew, but I know this one. The word hesed. Hesed is like, there's not any one English word that defines it. It's hard to define. But hesed is this, is this overflowing self-giving love from a superior to an inferior. And the crazy thing about that word has said, a little bit of nerd time here for those of you that like this stuff. Chuck, where are you? You like this stuff, right? <laughs> this is a cool thing about it. This word has said is all through the Bible. When you, when you go to Psalms and it says, give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love endures forever. That word is has said. You can translate it mercy. You can translate it loving kindness. Here's the crazy thing about it. We don't find that word anywhere else in history, in any other piece of literature. Nowhere except the Old Testament. As if God had to make up a word for us to use to understand the depth of his love. He is astonishingly consistent in his character. And God says, I want to create a holy nation. I want a nation that is consistent like I am, right? That is righteous like I am. That is true, that is loving just like I am. And the remainder of chapter 19, we won't read through this. Um, Moses goes down and he tells all the people, look guys, this is, what, this is what God said. You know, God says he wants to do something really cool among us. And the, what do the people say? People say, awesome, we love this. We want to be chosen. We want to be unique. We've had, you know, 400 years of having somebody's thumb in our back. It's about time we, they, you know, we, we get to be on the top. And God says, okay, then get ready for what I'm about to do. Prepare yourself. Go and wash yourselves and abstain from, from sexual relationships and stay, you know, put a barrier around the mountain. Don't let any, don't even, don't even let your dog run up into the mountain. If your dog plays fetch on the mountain, he's going to be struck dead. 
I can imagine the people are going, wait a minute, what? What's all this about? I thought you loved us, God. I thought we were going to be like, you know, your, your peeps, right? And all of a sudden, you get all these like laws, and then the rest, of the, the rest of Exodus is unpacking all of these laws. Go to verse 20, or chapter 20, and God spoke these words. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he goes on to the thou shall nots. There's 10 of them, right? 10 commandments, no other gods, no idols, uh, no using the Lord's name in vain, Sabbath day, all these things. And 21, 22, and 23, all of these are just lots of commands. And we say, why all these commands? You know, why, what's, God, listen, come on. Why, can't we just get along? Like Rodney King, remember that? Or the song, All We Need Is Love? Maybe they were singing that at the base of the mountain. All we need is love. And God is saying, but you don't know how to love. You don't know how to be righteous. You don't know how to be astonishingly consistent in your character until I show you what that really looks like. You don't know how unholy you are until I hold up the the yardstick of holiness and let you compare yourself to it. And God says if we are to be in relationship, you need to know how to be faithful. So, Those of you that are married, imagine a marriage. Imagine coming into, Megan and I have been married 19 years, 20 years this next summer, right? Imagine, Megan, if we came into our marriage and we like had no idea what it was like to be faithful in a marriage, right? Can you imagine, can can you imagine like, you know, showing up at your wedding day and you've got like your other girlfriends with you? You got your other boy, you got your little boyfriend from high school with you. And you're like, what, sweetheart? Look, I love you. You love me. This, you know, but I love him too. Imagine how absurd that is. Nobody would ever imagine that. And God says, if we're going to be in relationship, if we're going to be in a covenant, much like a marriage, you've got to learn how to really be authentically set apart for me. And God says, I want to create a holy nation. Let me give you a definition of holiness just for our sake. I don't think I have, maybe I have it up here, I don't know. Um, Holiness is this. Consistently, wholeheartedly oriented towards God. I got to pause for a minute. I grew up in a, a very unique church culture, right? I grew up in a, in a very, very conservative church culture um, where, you know, we were supposed to be a holy people and by gum, we needed to look that way. So if you were a female, you did not cut your hair. You had your hair up here. And if you did not have jewelry on your faces, you didn't have makeup on, you know, you didn't go to the movies. Movies were worldly. Holy people didn't do that. We didn't play organized sports because that was worldly and holy people didn't do that. Didn't have playing cards. Didn't have all these kind of things because holy people behaved in a certain way and it looks this way. And through the grace of God, you know, in one sense, I'm very grateful for my foundation. I'm grateful for my heritage. But God has sort of said, look, that's really not what it's about. Holiness is not so much about how you look. It's about a consistent, wholehearted orientation towards God. 
Psalm 24. Let me read this. I don't know, I don't know if it's up here or not. I think I put these up here. Maybe our computer is, is getting stuck. It says this, who may ascend, Psalm 24 is writing this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who hasn't cut his hair, doesn't have on makeup or jewelry. The one who's on the worship team, the one who comes to church five days a week, the one who subscribes to King's Church Podcast. Shameless plug. (laughs) No. Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Two things that are, that are both reflected there. One of them is, our, is the intention of our heart. The other is the action of our hands. Both of those are required. Both of those are something that God wants to touch. He doesn't just want us to do the right thing. He wants us to think the right things. He doesn't just want us to show love with our hands. He wants us to feel love in our hearts. He doesn't just want me to sort of have overtures of faithfulness to my wife. He wants me to genuinely love her and love no one else. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. And so God is beginning on this mountain, God is beginning to sort of plant this idea in them. That it begins with identity, but there's more to come. A change of character has to happen in their hearts. They can't just continue in the way that they've always continued. And I want to to connect it to where we are, you and I, and our culture. God wants to do the same thing. He He does want to root and establish our identity as sons in God, daughters of God. He loves us, and he wants that to be the foundation that we build on. But God loves us too much to allow us to stay where we are. He wants to transform our hearts and transform our hands. So why does holiness matter? Let me give you three things. Holiness matters because we were made to be like God. We were made to be like God. You know who I was made to be like biologically? My parents. That's a crazy thing about DNA is that the offspring of a mom and dad share these physical characteristics of their parents. You can't give birth to a child and have them not share, you know, not, 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 not be in many ways just like they were. We were made, we were made with spiritual DNA. We were made to be like God. Look at what Ephesians 1 says. He says, for he, who is he? He is God. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you for that. When God was making you, when God was knitting your DNA together, he knit into your spiritual DNA a, 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 a drive and a hunger to be holy and blameless. It's part of who you were made to be. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. A holy people, this is just the way things are supposed to be. I'm supposed to have two ears, right? Right? I'm supposed to have two legs. You know, when, 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 when birth defects happen, you know what grieves us so much? 
Because we look at that and we say, look, oh, I love this, this precious life, but I know that that's not the way it was supposed to be. Same with the, same with the spiritual stuff. You know, we, we look around and we look at a person who is just living a depraved life. And we think to ourselves, man, it's not supposed to be that way. We're made to be good. We are made to be kind and true and pure and loving. We are made to be like God. Here's the second thing, the second reason holiness matters. Because relationship thrives where there is consistency. Relationship thrives where there is consistency. <laughs> Imagine this. Imagine if you were to go to your spouse, you know, and, and say, you know, sweetheart, I've been thinking. I love you a lot. And I promise to be faithful to you four days out of the week. I promise. Come on, that, that's okay, fine. Five days out of the week. That's most of my, most of my week I'm going to be faithful to you. That's more than anybody else gets. Wives, how many of you would just look at your husband and have to like refrain from just punching him in the face? Are you out of your mind? In covenant relationship, there must be consistency. Finally, number three, because holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to happiness. Anybody want to bless life? Nobody does. All right. Come on. <laughs> I do. I do. I want a blessed life. I'm going to look back on my life, and I want it to be marked by blessing. Is it okay to say that? I want it to be marked by happiness and joy. I want to look back and say, my life was so full of goodness, and so full of joy, and so full of happiness. I don't want to have any regrets. At the end of it all, I want to look back and say, what in the world? I have had the most amazing life. Here's a crazy, here's a crazy thing is God has told us how that can happen. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is another generation. That Exodus, this mountain generation up here, they couldn't do it. They thought they could, but they said, no, nah, God, really, we can't. We can't move into your promises. We're afraid, et cetera, et cetera. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They died off. Now, my little sons and daughters have now grown up, and God has basically given sons and daughters now a chance to be faithful, right? And God has given the same promise to them. He's offering the same covenant to them. And in Deuteronomy 29, verse 9 says, Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. Guys, do you know that God wants you to prosper? God wants you to be happy? He does. Really, He does. There's nothing that makes God happier than to see his sons and daughters flourishing in the earth. But he knows that it depends on covenant faithfulness. As they become a holy people, they become a happy people. And all of 29 and 30 are unpacking these things. You know, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy talks about blessings and curses. God is saying, look, I'm giving you a choice here. You can have a blessed life or you can have a cursed life. It's up to you. I want to make it very clear what you need to do. It's not going to be a mystery. 
follow my covenant. If you do that, blessings are going to follow. And he goes to talk about the blessings. And they're not spiritual blessings. That's the awesome thing. God doesn't just say, oh, you'll get to go to heaven. No, he talks about their crops. He talks about their livestock. He talks about all the, the, the incredibly human, natural things that are blessings that are going to come their way. Holiness leads to happiness. All right, Brian, come on up. I want to close with a quote and then one more thing and then we're done. I don't even know what time it is. That's right, I want to read this to you. You guys ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. Atheist turned Christian scholar. He talks about this in the, the book called The Problem of Pain. And it's, it's a little cerebral, but you guys are so intelligent, you'll have no problem picking up on this. He says, to ask that God's love should be content with us as we are is to ask that God should cease to be God. Because he is what he is, his love must be impeded or repelled by certain stains in our character. And because he already loves us, he must labor to make us, to make us lovable. What we here and now call our happiness is not the end God chiefly has in view. But when we are such as he can love without impediment, we shall in fact be happy. All right, y'all stand up. I'm done with this. I want to read one verse. How does this happen? How does God make a holy nation? I got good news for you. It's not by trying harder. It's not by trying to keep the rules harder. That's what all the Old Testament proves. We can't do it. It's not in our DNA. But what if our DNA could be changed? What if there could be a spiritual transformation that once, that causes us to want to do the right thing? Wouldn't that be awesome? To have a natural inclination towards the things of God? To have be naturally inclined toward holiness? That's what happens. Um, where's my last verse here? Deuteronomy 36 says this. In the middle of all of these promises, curses, all of this, God says this one simple thing. He says, the Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts. Isn't that kind of graphic? Circumcision. It was a mark upon the people that set them apart. God says, I'm actually going to circumcise, I'm going to mark your, I'm going to cut your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Come on, you guys. God's going to do the work in us. God's going to mark us and cut us and cause us to want to follow him. Obviously, it takes participation, right? It takes a yielding. It takes a, a desire to be in covenant faithfulness for him, with him. Hmm.
Father, would you build, would you lay another stone on top of identity? Would you lay a stone of character? Lord, we want to be faithful to you because you're faithful to us. We want to love like you love. We want to have truth like you have truth. Righteousness and justice and mercy. We want to be wholeheartedly oriented towards you. Day after day after day, Lord. We want to wake up with an orientation towards you. We want to go to bed with an orientation towards you. That's not perfection, God. That's not what we're talking about. We want to have a heart that's been cut, circumcised, causing us to love. Father, would you do that in us? Amen. We're going to move into just our closing minutes of, of, of worship and ministry time. We're going to open up the front if we can pray for um, any needs that you have, physical, uh, any physical healings, um, the words of knowledge that we read, if one of those resonated with you. Um, we want to pray for those as well. If you just want to come and just be in the presence of the Lord here at the front, you can come here to the, to the center part. If, you, if we can pray for you about what you heard in the word, about maybe something God is pointing out to you, maybe making that connection between identity and character, maybe you're struggling with something and you just want the Lord to, to circumcise your heart, to do a work in you, I'll pray for you about that. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Let's just respond to what the Lord wants to do this morning, all right? And after a few minutes, I'll give us a soft release so we can go. All right, Brian.